0: We well, do keep Acts 10 open in front of you. Next week, as John says, tonight is our last in the series um, looking in the book of Acts. Next week, we've got one of our occasional doctrine series. The truth will set you free looking at the doctrine of the resurrection, sort of aptly. Um, the death of death, why the resurrection matters today. So um, that's next Sunday night in the gathering. But let me just pray for us and we'll look at Acts 10. Let's, let's just pray. Father God, we praise you that you are a God who has things to say to us. Lord, when you call us to know you, you don't hide from us, you don't abandon us to our ignorance, Lord, you speak through your word and by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that tonight you'd speak to us things we need to hear, and Lord, you would encourage us that as we grow in our knowledge of you, we would discover you to be far more praiseworthy than even we imagine right now. Lord, thank you that you overcome every barrier between us and you. And I pray Lord, that tonight, as we look at this significant moment in church history, Lord, you would show us what it has to say to us today, and then you would lead us to trust you more, and to worship you more for who you are, and what you've done for us in Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen. Well, yeah, tonight we're finishing this series in the Book of Acts. And throughout this series, the first half of the Book of Acts, we've looked at a number of the first generation of Christians. And I hope we've witnessed the power of the Gospel at work to transform their lives and make them more like Jesus. And the overall title for this series has been The Power of the Gospel. And you probably know that comes from Romans 1, verse 16. And the Apostle Paul's word, let me read that for us. He says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. So we read the book of Acts, what we're seeing is actually God's power at work through the lives of his people, through ordinary, weak believers. God is changing them, and he's impacting their world for Jesus. And tonight as we finish this series on Acts, we're focusing on really that last phrase of Paul's in Romans 1. Where he says that gospel's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Because when we come to Acts 10, it's actually really hard for us to overestimate the huge barrier there was between Jews and Gentiles in the world of first century A.D. and in Acts 10, the apostle Peter is challenged by God that that barrier between Jew and Gentile has been overcome by Jesus' death and resurrection. So throughout this series, we've looked at how the gospel affects individuals, people like Peter and Stephen and Philip. But tonight, Peter's experience it demonstrates that the gospel doesn't just change individuals. Actually. The gospel is able to change the world Peter discovers here. Because the message of Acts 10 is that the message of Jesus crucified, risen and ascended that has formed a new humanity for God made up of Jew and Gentile and every cultural barrier that we erect between one another as human beings Jesus' death and resurrection can, can knock it down. That we all stand accepted before God if We trust in Jesus. But we all stand accepted solely on that question. Not on any other additions we might make to the Gospel. So that's what we're looking at tonight. This message of Acts 10. This new humanity that God opens Peter's eyes to. So looking at Acts 10 together. This is sort of an historic moment in the life of the church. The moment when God decisively reveals that Jews and Gentiles can stand together in his sight, solely on the basis of their faith in Jesus Christ. And on one level, that actually shouldn't come as a huge shock to Peter and to us. If we've read the Bible, if we've read the book of Acts, actually there are hints all the way through that that is what God is ultimately going to reveal. If you want to keep your finger in Acts 10 and flick to Genesis 12, There's one bit of the Old Testament to demonstrate that. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. That's page 13 in the church Bibles. Because in the Old Testament, really the nation of Israel, it's undeniably they are singled out by God to carry his name into the world. But right from the outset of the Bible, God demonstrates that that he's actually concerned for the whole earth, not just for Israel. This is Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. Partly I, I quote this because after Easter... At the gathering, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at God's dealings with Abraham. But Genesis 12, 1-3, this is God calling Abraham and his descendants to be his people. Then that last part of verse 3, God says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, in calling Abraham and his descendants, God hadn't given up on the rest of the world. No, he intended to bless the nations of the world through Abraham and his descendants. And that's a refrain we see right the way through the Old Testament. And by the time of Acts, it's writ large in the risen Jesus' purposes for his people. I hope we've seen that throughout this series in Acts. So if you want to look back to Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus' words to his disciples when he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Acts 2, Pentecost, where Jews from every nation under heaven, Luke tells us, heard the message of Jesus in their own language. Then Acts 8, Philip baptised the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, a Gentile is baptised. Then Acts 9, verses 15 to 16, we looked at last week. It's Jesus' words to Ananias concerning Saul, who would later be called Paul. Jesus says to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So in all these moments in Acts, we can see that, that Jesus is preparing his church to make the gospel known to the nations, to the Gentiles. But alongside all those preparations Jesus is making, we, actually there's another refrain we see in the book of Acts, and that actually is the slowness, if that's a word, of the early believers to grasp that the gospel, in its full implications, is for the whole world. So again, Acts 1, again in verse 6, right at the beginning of our series in Acts, the disciples question of Jesus just before he ascended into heaven. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, even after spending 40 days with the risen Jesus as he opens up the scriptures to them, as he explains to them why it is he had to die and rise again, who he is, what his purposes are, still those first disciples are concerned solely for Israel, for their own nation. And in those opening chapters of Acts, I also sort of wonder if there's an implicit rebuke of the early church and that it takes them so long to go beyond Jerusalem in taking the gospel to Judea and Samaria. In fact, we saw in Acts 8, it takes a wave of persecution following Stephen's death to finally scatter the believers beyond Jerusalem. where praise God, they, they share the gospel wherever they go. But again, it takes them a long time to see that that's what they should be doing. It takes them a while to get the full implications of Jesus' commission of them in Acts 1. And again, it's very easy for us when we read the book of Acts to sort of just think, well, sort of how thick are these early Christians? Surely they should have seen that. That's so obvious. But actually, before we start coming down too hard on the Christians and Acts, before we feel too superior to them, I think we need to acknowledge something. Actually, Christians today are not that different in our slowness to grasp the full implications of the Gospel. Actually, often we really struggle to apply the gospel in its fullness to our lives and to our place in the world. I've experienced that struggle in my own life. Um, I was brought up in a very conservative Christian culture. In some ways it was a great local church, but that was a church that actually added a lot of requirements to how a Christian should live that aren't actually there. In the gospel, so I was told that if you're a Christian, you could never drink alcohol, and you need to keep Sunday as the Sabbath, so no work, no television, no nothing. You should be wary of things like the cinema and the theatre. See, it took a long time actually for me to distinguish between what the gospel said and what my my culture said to me. Actually, those two got very easily mixed. And even today, I'm sure I've got plenty of blind spots on that. I don't believe I'm alone in that. So often our culture, we get confused what our culture says and what the gospel says. The other extreme of that is people who come from no Christian background at all come to believe in Jesus. And often, again, in practice, it takes a while for for them to see the the implications the gospel has for their lifestyle. So again, I know um, a friend of mine working for a church. There's a married couple there, the husband has become a Christian, but it's taken him a long time to realize that the way he has treated his wife has just been unacceptable. He has been so loveless and cool towards her. And it's only gradually he's learning that he has to learn how to be a husband from Jesus, the perfect husband. Or again, just think of new Christians who just go on bitching about the boss or fiddling their expenses or gossiping because it takes a while to see actually that behavior isn't honoring to Christ. It takes a while for the penny to drop for many of us. That's what happened with these believers in Acts and it happens today for us. I think the good news of Acts 10 is that God is committed to opening our eyes to his purposes for the world and his purposes for our lives. Jesus never abandons us to our ignorance and our prejudice. If we're willing to listen to him then actually Jesus will change us. And that's what he does in Acts 10. So again, the issue in front of us, as John read to us, I guess clearly came across, this issue of the division between Jew and Gentile centering around circumcision. In the Old Testament, the living God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of Jesus, actually commanded circumcision to be a sign that the people of Israel were separate from the nations around them. They were actually marked out as God's people. Circumcision was, was one of the signs of that separation. Another sign was which foods you could eat and which foods you couldn't eat. And another sign was who you could eat with and who you shouldn't eat with. And when you look at the early church in Jerusalem, actually, you see a group of people for whom those signs that God had given in the Old Testament, they were really precious to them. Because it's a funny thing, actually. When you look at the opening chapters of Acts, you see actually a lot of strange people, unexpected people, you might think, beginning to follow Jesus. Because in the Gospels, it's pretty transparent that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law do not like Jesus. Often they find him too radical. They just don't like the look of this guy. But when you come to the book of Acts, actually, again and again, Luke tells us that quite a few Pharisees and teachers of the law are becoming Christians. The early church makes big inroads to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. So we flick back to Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we meet a guy called Barnabas. He's a Levite from Cyprus. Acts 6, verse 8, we're told, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, for a lot of the early Christians, the law and circumcision was a really precious thing to them. It was what defined them. And they just couldn't imagine a time when God would tell them, actually, that's not important anymore. People are accepted on other grounds than becoming an Orthodox Jew. So in Acts 10, the question becomes, how is Jesus going to guide his church through this difficult issue, this cultural blind spot that is the division between Jew and Gentile? And the answer, again, I want to suggest is surprising. Because Jesus chooses Peter to guide his church through this. And this is conservative <coughs> Peter. This is brash Peter. Sort of speak first, think later Peter. Peter the man who always got in the way when Jesus was doing radical things in the gospel. And yet Jesus chooses Peter as his instrument to help those early Christians overcome the obstacle of circumcision and the law. It's always worth noting that God's choice of people is not the sort of choice we would make. See, in that sense, Jesus has to transform the way Peter sees Gentiles like Cornelius so that Jesus can use Peter to share the gospel with Cornelius. Again, the great news here is that Jesus is taking the lead. He is leading his church, and leading Peter into the future he has prepared for them. So, so just very quickly, a few things to notice in the events of Acts 10. First of all, again, we need to see that Jesus is the one who's taking the initiative here. Jesus prepares the ground, and we see that with Cornelius' encounter with an angel in verses 1 to 8. So first, when we meet Cornelius, he's, a, he's such an important man in the history of the church, so Luke gives us quite a lot of detail about him, he's arguably the first Gentile to hear the gospel and believe without first having to become a Jew. And in verse 2, he's described in terms that, I guess he's just described as a spiritually open to God. Verse 2, Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And in that Cornelius, he's kind of in marked contrast to Saul, the Jew Saul. In chapter 9, he's open to God. He wants to know who God is and what his will is for him. And Cornelius has a visit from an angel, Luke tells us. He prepares the way for the gospel, who tells Cornelius to send for Peter. And again, so time and again in the Bible, when God's doing something decisive in human history, he sends angels to speak for him. We see it at events like the birth of Jesus. And we see it here. But we need to see something else here before we leave these opening verses. That the angel, he appears to Cornelius, but the angel doesn't get to share the gospel with Cornelius. No, God intends Peter, a human being, to do that. And I think that's really important for us to see here. Because if I'm honest, I think I would prefer it if God used angels to share the gospel in the world instead of us. After all, they'd probably do a better job. They'd be harder to ignore. Again, you can't ignore an angel when he appears. But Jesus, in his sovereign wisdom, Luke tells us, chooses to share the gospel through ordinary, weak human beings, ordinary believers like Peter and like us. And why does he do that? Well, the rest of the Bible gives us a hint. It it tells us that because then it is God who receives the glory and not the messenger. Look down for a minute to verses 25 to 26 of chapter 10. When Peter does meet Cornelius, Cornelius falls at Peter's feet in reverence. And Peter says, Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. See, Peter says... It's not me. I'm not the one you should be listening to. It is the message that I have that has power. And if you're a Christian here tonight, that applies to you. God has not chosen to use angels to spread the gospel. He has chosen human beings like you. It is an amazing privilege. It's maybe not one you would have chosen yourself, but you can actually thank God for it. And again, if you are a Christian tonight, maybe just for a moment, just think about those individuals. Those ordinary, flawed, sinful human beings who shared the gospel with you. Maybe people who just spoke a bit about Jesus to you. Maybe family members. Maybe people from previous churches. Just maybe picture them in your minds. They weren't angels. They weren't supernatural beings. But God used them to speak to you about your need of him. And God can use us to speak to others the way he uses Peter here. So God sends an angel to prepare the ground. But it's Peter he needs to prepare to actually share the gospel with Cornelius. And that's verses 9 to 23. And if you glance back at chapter 9 of Acts, the last little bit and we didn't look at last week, you can see actually that God was using Peter at this stage in Peter's life in an amazing way to spread the gospel and to do great miracles here. That last bit of chapter 9 is just astonishing really. Peter heals the lame, he even raises the dead. This woman Dorcas who dies, and Peter raises her to life. Peter's at an amazing place in his life here. He's not the same man in one level that was just stumbling along in the gospels, making mistakes, making mistakes. At every turn. But we need to see in Acts 10, even at this stage in his life and ministry, even when God's using him so powerfully, Peter still needs to listen to Jesus here. Because the message Jesus has for Peter is not one he wants to hear, but it's one he needs to hear. Peter has not got to the stage in his life where he knows it all here. He needs to listen. To Jesus. Let me just read verses 9 to 16 for us again. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Again, this event is so important. Luke records it twice or even three times across these chapters, he wants us to get this vision of what God shares with Peter. So what is the vision? Well, basically, it's heaven offering a very hungry Peter a mixed grill. But it's a mixed grill that no Jew would ever accept. It is full of unclean animals that the Old Testament forbid any Jew to eat. And in verse 14 we hear a phrase from Peter that anyone who's read the four Gospels should be pretty familiar with. Peter says, surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. I've already alluded to the fact that throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, Peter again and again disagreed with Jesus. He said, surely not, Lord. That is just going too far when Jesus predicted that he would be rejected by the chief priests and teachers of the law and that he would go to a cross, Peter was the first to say, Surely not, Lord. That can't happen to you. When Jesus wanted to wash his disciples' feet the night he was betrayed, he came to Peter and Peter said, Surely not, Lord. You can't wash my feet. Peter tried again and again to stop Jesus during Jesus' ministry. And here in verse 14, he's at it again. Read verse 15 again. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Then three times Peter gets this message, we're told in verse 16. Verse 17, while Peter's wondering about the meaning of the vision, Cornelius' men arrive. Verse 19, the Spirit speaks to Peter directly Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. See, can you see what's happening here? God has a message for Peter, and the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, is leaving nothing to chance. They want Peter to get this message, because they know that Peter, in his stubbornness, will otherwise reject him we need to learn from peter here tonight we always need to be careful that we are listening to jesus and not just presuming that we know it all already we cannot presume that we know jesus without continually going back to god's word and continually praying to god to open our eyes To Jesus and what he commands of us. We can't presume that we're living authentic Christ-like lives. Without always going back to Jesus and comparing ourselves with him. And asking for his grace and his power to work in us. That applies to our lives as individuals. It applies to our life as a church. See in Acts 10, Peter disagrees with Jesus. And Jesus has to put him right. And we cannot be arrogant to the point of saying that we will never disagree with Jesus or that Jesus might never have to put us right. So in this chapter, I think Peter, he stands as both a rebuke to us, but also an encouragement. Again, the rebuke is clear. Are we guilty in our lives of ever trying to stop Jesus, Do we question Jesus' method in our life? Do we ever protest at the radical nature of what Jesus wants to do in us and through us? Well, if so, we need to listen to Peter here and say, we need to humble ourselves. Don't say, surely not, Lord, straight away. Listen. Listen to what Jesus is saying through his word, by his spirit. But alongside that, undeniable. Peter's actually a great encouragement to us as well because Jesus never stops teaching Peter and he never gives up on Peter. In spite of Peter's weakness and stubbornness, Jesus uses him powerfully again and again in the book of Acts. Chapter 2 is to speak to a huge number of Jews. Chapter 8 is to speak to Samaritans. And here is to speak to Gentiles. And that is such an encouragement for us, I think, If Jesus can use Peter in his stubbornness, if he can keep teaching Peter, if he can stick with Peter, then surely he will also stick with us if we keep confessing when we've got it wrong and if we ask him to enable us to hear his voice. And as Jesus teaches us about himself, about the full implications of knowing him, the results it's going to be that we will praise God even more. We're not going to be horrified by the things Jesus has to teach us because we're actually going to discover that God is even more praiseworthy than we initially thought. Because that's Peter's experience here. going to look at verse 34 and 35. Peter's with Cornelius and his family here and he's heard about Cornelius' his vision and Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is That God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter's eyes have been opened to God, and God is bigger than he ever thought. God is more gracious than he ever thought. This is Peter. He knew about God's grace. He had denied Jesus three times, and yet had been forgiven. And yet here, he suddenly realized he'd missed something. He'd never realised that God would accept Gentiles in the same way he accepted Peter. And that is an amazing encouragement again to us. That actually, if we humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, show me the full implications of knowing you. We're not going to be horrified by that. We're going to see that God is even more praiseworthy than we imagined. And then the last thing from Acts 10 before we leave this chapter is, I think, focusing on Cornelius. It's actually right that tonight we've focused on Peter because Peter actually is the centre of this passage. It's Cornelius' conversion, but actually it's Peter we focus on and the changes that have to happen in him. But we can't leave the chapter without looking at Cornelius here because he is so eager and open to the gospel. He and those with him are longing to hear what Peter has to say. And when Peter shares the gospel, the results are remarkable. And Luke wants us to see it, verse 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God Peter and his companions are left in no doubt that Cornelius's conversion is genuine God knew that if there was the slightest doubt they might have denied that what God was doing but actually this is a huge moment in church history and God makes it clear what has just happened the gentiles are accepted into God's new community and what effect does that have on us tonight? Well, first of all, we, just, we need to state the obvious. Thank God that Gentiles are accepted now. Again, I can't speak for everyone, but as a Gentile, I am deeply grateful to God that he has accepted me on the basis of just trusting Jesus. And here's the moment where it suddenly becomes clear to Peter and the early Christians. But I think there's another encouragement for us from Cornelius because actually I believe there are Corneliuses in Oxford today people who are hungry and open to hearing about Jesus see often I'm so prepared for hostility and indifference when it comes to living as a Christian when it comes to that terror you have about sharing your faith but actually there are people who want to know Jesus, just as Cornelius does here. And we can ask God to direct us to them and just see God work as they encounter him. Even last weekend, um, we had a youth weekend away and a teenager came up to me on the Saturday night and he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted a right relationship with God. And to be completely honest, I was totally unprepared for that. I'd kind of, we have been talking about Jesus coming and we need him, we need to be forgiven by him, but I didn't think anyone would actually want to know him. But he did. And we need to see there are Corneliuses all around us. People who are hungry, who are eager to hear about Jesus. And God can use us with them. He can use weak and stubborn and foolish Peter. And he can use weak and stubborn and foolish people like us. So just as we finish tonight, I want us to round our tables to think a bit about some of the implications of Acts 10. There are three reasonably weighty questions, so you might want to choose one to focus on. But just that opening um, phrase from Acts 10, I think it's sort of the key to what Peter discovers about God here. I now realise how true it is God does not show favouritism but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right and the question for us is what are the cultural blind spots for us and what are the ways in which we need to keep listening to Jesus and asking him to change us in our desire to live for him and to make him known so just round your tables maybe sort of five or so minutes if you want to just think about some of those questions maybe grab one Discuss it. Be honest about maybe your own cultural blind spots. Again, that's maybe just individuals that you know. It could be even people groups. You think that's just too much to expect. People from that group would be interested. And then in a few minutes, I'll I'll close in prayer for us. But do think, what does God have to tell us about our blind spots from Acts 10? Okay, um, please do keep talking. Um, if, you, if you're still telling these things, but I just wanted to close our time in prayer. Um, if people do need to shut off, but um, just let me let me just pray for us. Let's let's pray. Father God, we we come before you tonight, just confessing um, how little faith we often have, um, that you are able to overcome barriers that exist in this world. And Lord, how often we are creatures of our own culture rather than men and women who are being changed um, by your gospel and by your spirit. Um, Lord, please, I pray you would encourage us from Acts 10, Lord, that you are leading your church. And Lord, you have things to say to us, Lord. And we just ask that we would be people who listen to you. And Lord, enable us to see that you're able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And Lord, even those individuals in our lives or those, those groups in our society that we think just are beyond the reach of your gospel. Lord, just please open our eyes to what you can do and encourage us that you can use even people like us to make your name known and to bring glory to you. So Lord, we just ask that you just keep us thinking as we leave this place, Lord, of the things that you need to say to us, the ways in which we need to change to be more like you. But Lord, encourage us that you will do that and that you will carry on your work until it's completed on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's finish with Jesus' words to his disciples of great commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go go